we're back for another episode. I told you I'd be doing more singing. I did. I do remember you saying that. Yeah. You know, I I just think, you know, singing's good for the soul. And if you can carry a tune just a little bit, you should try, you know? know? I'm glad it's you singing and not me. Oh. Um, uh, I don't even do karaoke singing. Uh, The farthest I get with singing is when... Remember a few years ago we had that there was that craze in the video game world where uh, like uh, Guitar Hero and then they did a band one yeah. and they just kept coming out with different variations on that yeah, and yeah, it finally yeah. just died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was as far as I got when it came to singing. Oh, well, okay. Let me ask you this: if you if you if you've ever have you done karaoke? Uh, no. I was gonna say. A, I was gonna say. I'm what is your, I was gonna crowds say, and people. Well, in per, maybe alone. Have you like like do you have a go to song? Do you, oh yeah, like in the shower. Or, yeah. What's the go-to oh, song? It's whatever pops in my head at the time. Like sometimes things are just running through my head. Um, I don't know. Sometimes late at night, I get the feeling just to to scream out loud, Judas Priest. Oh shit! Like living after midnight or breaking the law. <laughs> something angry, the law, rebellious. The law. Yeah, something very yeah, angry. Something, I get it. <laughs> yeah, something that just stirs the soul, <laughs> or, or or makes you wear leather and motorcycles and stuff oh well here we are on music discovery project <laughs> i know <laughs> seriously <laughs> but we should have done a music podcast yeah no nah, we shit i ain't got no time for that but, but transitioning into something i guess darker and more you know soul stirring it is now november yes or as people in the film world like to refer to it as noir vember yes and we are doing a spotlight here on the Cinema Discovery Project with uh, your co-host once again in Stephen Billings it and myself, me. Andrew Cabral. And before we get into our spotlight, which is going to be in a lonely place this time around, uh, Stephen, do you want to bring in some outside uh, news oh, stuff that sure. you want to talk about? Sure, yeah, we can talk about a couple of the things. We'll go ahead and, we'll, we'll, you know, November 12th when we were recording this is, is, is a big day for a lot of people. Um, it is uh, another another um, country, as I'll say, has moved into the war. Another another country's joined the war, the world yeah, war, another, the streaming wars. Another opponent takes the battlefield. Yes, and it's a big one. Will. It's a big one. It's like Russia, uh, you know. <laughs> and it's it's, di- tell you, it's a it, it's a world war on the internet streaming world yes. for your money and your time and soul and <laughs> yes. life, yes. basically. Yes. And that is Disney with their their service, Disney+. Plus. Yes. And today was circled on many people's calendars, many Disney fans, many people in general. Uh, both Steven and I uh, signed up today for it, and we both kind of consumed a little bit. And yeah, it's going to be a big, big-time contender in this never-ending streaming the, war, seemingly. I mean, the, the thing with streaming, you know, these streaming things is... No matter how much you actually get a chance to watch, they're still getting the same amount of money from you every month. So it's just right. about how many subscribers you can get, man. And uh, Disney um, is going to get a lot of subscribers because it's it's obviously oh. a family-oriented thing. So everybody with a family is going to get one. Of course. And, and even people in the industry who are just curious about it are going to adopt it. People who grew up with Disney, people who have children, people who... Everybody has grown up with Disney over the last 50, 60 years or so, at least for the most part. Obviously, you know, you know, different details of your life, you know, are, you know, are, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, context, context, you know, contextually what your life has been, maybe or maybe you haven't. But for the most part, people 
in the United States and Europe and places like that grew up with the, that Mickey Mouse running around. And I'll say this from right away, just consuming it just a little bit and just getting into it a little bit. It is a nostalgia trip. It is, it is filled with everything that you and I have grown up with, every television series, a lot of the animated movies, a lot of deep cut animated films from, you know, before the 90s, before the golden age mm-hmm. are in there, you know, like the Black Cauldron is in there, some of their live action stuff like the Rocketeer is in yeah. there, and it goes all the way back to like their early shorts in like the 20s and 30s and 40s, and then when they got to their feature stuff with like the um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and all that kind of stuff, there's a whole podcast episode I want to do one day about just like, you know, pre-golden age Disney and how different it is from, you know, post-Golden Age Disney, you know, the more modern stuff. But you can consume all of it on there. And I think that's what this service is, you know, beneficial for us, for people who are serious Disney fans. Yeah, I mean, the thing thing that stood out to me real quick was was a lot of the 90s, because, you know, I'm like a 90s kid, basically. I mean, and, and... all the the old '90s shows like The Boy Meets World and the oh yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking Gargoyles is on there and and uh, X Men animated series is on there and it's so there's a lot of stuff from my childhood like you said a nostalgia trip uh, that I can go back oh, yeah. and and watch that you know and because I don't own this stuff yet it, now now don't get it now don't get us wrong right we're st- still going to buy this stuff if we can because we are physical media guys. Very, very true. Um, what is interesting is that you say that is a lot of that stuff, like DuckTales, Tailspin, Gargoyles, like you mentioned, Gummy Bears, things like that, are available on DVD, even something like Darkwing Duck. The problem is, is Disney started releasing those things and never finished completing those releases on DVD yeah. for most of those shows. They ended up going back and finishing up, I think, Tailspin and... I don't, and, but some of them, no, not really. Duck, Darkwing Duck, they never did. DuckTales, I don't think they ever did. Um, uh, uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, they never finished up putting out on well, DVD. This, this is a, and now I don't think they're going to never because all of it's on there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The, the, they have the, no Disney, reason Disney, to. Disney, if there's any, anything Disney is, is they're decisive about their business. And, and if they think that it, it, they don't necessarily care about everything that we want. Like we're us right. physical media people are are the are small potatoes compared to what they if they think that they can make more money, uh, they can cut out some some fat by not doing physical media anymore. They will, and and, and will. this is where this is where it could start killing us at least from a point of view of Disney. Oh yeah, you know, and yeah, it, this is a step forward in the streaming world in terms of just the uh, content that's available, but it is unfortunately another blow to the physical media world that Stephen and I uh, have our foot firmly in. Um, What is also interesting is they don't only have their Disney stuff, but they've got, you know, all of the Star Wars movies, all the Star Wars animated television series that have come out over the last couple of years. The new Mandalorian series dropped their first uh, episode today, which was something that people were looking forward to. I did hear that there were some technical difficulties with the service being down uh, at, at there always today. is there always is but for me i didn't have a problem i, I, Granted, didn't, I, I, yeah, I didn't i didn't get into it until like either. five o'clock but there yeah. but there's always there's always issues when something starts up i mean it, it's yeah there's always tech problems yeah. because you know ne- you can simulate things and just kind of give them like you know fake test runs but you never know how it's going to be it's kind of like sports where like you can practice as much as you want and run certain gameplay drills and things like that but nothing really is the same as you know live gameplay in the moment you know what i mean 
But if you're ready to transition into something else, that's another oh, step shit. forward oh, I'm, I'm, in I, the I, movie if, world. If that's what you want to call it. Yeah, I, 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 I say, say step a, forward because step it's back. <laughs> well, I guess you're, that's your. I meant step forward in the sense like, hey, they're trying technology, something new. Technology. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. That's the only thing that's a step forward in. It's very appropriate that we're bringing this up specifically on this episode because of who we're talking about and because of the person who directed the movie we're going to talk yeah. about. Um, what we heard this past week is that uh, I can't remember all the details. And honestly, I read the article once and I really don't want to read it again, is that these uh, director pairs are going to make a movie and they're instead of casting a living actor, they are going to recreate James Dean in digital form. Yeah, they, they apparently searched far and wide for an actor to fill this role. And they figured by the end of it, James Dean's the only one that can play this role. Which is fascinating to me because no one has seen James Dean act since 1956. Yeah, I don't think I, 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 he's not like alive how, anymore. How do you he, know he would one want to do this role and two would be appropriate for this role? Because he was only in three feature films. Yeah. He was only in Rebel Without a Cause, Giant, and East of Eden. Those were his three films. Yeah. Um, what is interesting is that Nicholas Ray, who directed In a Lonely Place, directed. Rebel Without a Cause. Okay. That's that's the connection. If For those of you at home who couldn't put those things together. But Stephen and I are very strongly against this, <laughs> as a lot of people are. I'm more curious about it than I think Stephen is because I'm like, how are they going to pull this off and make it not be embarrassing or be a joke? Because you're going to need to put in a lot of money, a lot of technology, it's... and a lot of precise... Per- Things need to be put into this just to pull this it, off. It's it's an interesting Man, it's, it's an interesting crazy. look. It's an interesting experiment, but it should just only be an experiment to put it in a movie and to basically give a rollover to a, a, an actor that's not there anymore and say that it. I mean, you're. I don't care how, um, how you know as you know if you asked a living actor right. whether they would you know when it they would be okay with um doing this to them when they're dead, I'm sure at the moment they'll be like, well, I'd feel uh, honored that they do something like that. But the thing is, is you're asking somebody to to give a performance with your likeness, and that might not be the performance you would actually give. You're, you, they're mis- right. They could misrepresent you. I mean, Yeah, it, because you don't know the nuance that this person was going to deliver yeah. to this performance. You can't. You can guess at it, but you can't replicate it accurately enough for it to be believable. It's, and it's also taken away. It, it, it's taken away from the art form in in that way. Like it's not sure. There's art in making the CGI being sure, but that's not acting. You're 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 asking a computer to. You're just letting the computers take over. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, I, yeah, I. I equated it when I was talking to Steven about it the other day to like video game cutscenes where like where they have like these CGI, you know, actors with human voices over them and they look like the the real life counterparts. But but a computer is generating their performance. It's giving them the movement of their bodies, the movement of their faces, the the inflection in their voices and all that kind of stuff. It's very disingenuous. And. And I don't know how it's going to work when it comes to movement. If you're, how much are they going to be asking this this character to move around and interact with others? And I mean, even, how is that going to I mean, line up? There's they, a lot of variables. And then also, you, even if you put a body double in, and if you have somebody right. doing a voiceover, it's still not James Dean. What's the point? 
It's not, not only, him. Yeah, I mean, we've seen similar things to this before. We saw it in, uh, you know, Rogue One with Tarkin, yeah. where they, where they, you know, they got pretty close to what Peter Cushing looks like and sounds like, and a lot of people had problems with that, and that was using a stand-in who looked similar to Peter Cushing, and they were able to manipulate his face and things like that afterwards. And now you're talking about they're using de-aging technology in films now, and that's not even you know, perfected in any way. That yeah. still looks problematic. And now they're taking one step forward in doing this with James Dean. And it's like, you should kind of perfect the other stuff that is similar to what you're doing or is in the same realm before you take another leap forward and try something new. It's like, that other stuff needs to be perfected first for you to even make this leap forward. Yeah. And they're just skipping several steps well, and mean, doing that. Look, the Peter Cushing thing um, in... in Rogue One, it, it doesn't necessarily bother me because I, I don't think that his character played much of a role in the movie. He just no, he just stood there and talked. He basically and had a couple around. scenes and that was it. They're talking about adding James Dean in, in as a like a very integral part of the movie. Like he has yeah, an arc and a, everything. A co-lead. Yeah. Which is a little more significant than just standing around walking but, and talking. But not only but, not only on yeah. the on the principle of it, but the the fact that this is taking away from people's jobs. It's a slippery Very slope. True. You know, if we're going to start casting dead actors and then taking away real actors, like nobody's going to have jobs, no new people. We ain't going to create new legends in cinema. We're just going to keep bringing well, you back can't, the old yeah, ones. You can't create a new James Dean without having someone be casted. But, but you're not going to see them. Like you're going to see, you're going to see James Dean. We're only, it, well, I meant, I meant more like metaphorically. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. But, but it's like, it's like not only are we rebooting movies that we've already, now we got to reboot the actors that were in them. Now, yeah. We're, we're rebooting movies. Now we're rebooting people. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, it's it's uh, interesting. Know, to now me, we're going to reboot no. all of Jack Nicholson's movies. I know, you know? from back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still alive, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, what is interesting to me is that apparently the estate of James Dean signed off on it. Well, yeah, but, okay but with shoot, it. I mean, I mean, whoever is, I mean, they don't, whoever's alive might not even still be alive, even met James Dean. I, I'm not sure if that's true, but that was a long time ago. Anybody that's... I'll say this, yeah, he died in 1956, I believe, or 55. So anybody that's the owner of his estate might not have ever met him. You know, like, well, I mean, I'm assuming it's a family member or it somebody. It might be, but they probably never... I have no idea. You know, who, I mean, who knows? But but it's like, sure, if somebody wants money, then they're going to get money and they'll take it. I mean, they might not be in the best interest. They're not Yeah, we don't know what... Yeah, we don't know what their intention is. Yeah, he yeah. died in 1955. Yeah. Yes, he did. In a car accident, I believe, yes. Yeah, so that's um, what, 60, 60 years ago? 60-something years yeah. ago? I mean, the, uh, theoretically, they could... Yeah, could be a family member, could not, could be a lawyer's office for all we yeah. know. I mean, it could be, it could be somebody who bought the likeness of James Dean. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, I don't know. I have to do more research on it, but that happens where people buy, you know, intellectual property likenesses of dead, yeah. famous people, yeah. and to use in any way they want. Like, hey, you want to use this person in, in a commercial? They did a commercial, commercial yeah, or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's like a, I think that I. There's a they use Bruce Lee in a commercial. I forgot where it was, and the CGI for his replication is so bad. You can watch it on YouTube. It's not great. Yeah. Um. But they do stuff like that a lot. I just I where, just think that that we're furthering the we're getting away from like very you know integral things about the art of cinema. 
mm. that that you know you, now you're you're wanting to take away the actors too from yeah, doing. Yeah, we're not. I mean, it's kind of like what you said the other night as well. It's like they're more they're more worried about pulling this off than perhaps creating a great film. Like like a, you I know don't what I, mean? I couldn't tell you what movie it's from a movie, but it's or I guess I guess it's from Jurassic Park. You know, they didn't they sat and thought about how if they could do the thing, but whether they should do it. You know, can they do it or should they do it? And they're not oh, think, yeah. they're not thinking about yeah. the reper, the the reper, you know, repercussions of, you know, what will happen if if they make this a thing. Like they don't care about the art form. They just care about Yeah, well, it, in know. that it was like essentially playing god. Like these dinosaurs were extinct for a reason. There's got to be there's it, it, there's, is there a sense of immorality yeah. in, when bringing something dead back to life, essentially? Yeah. And that's more of a philosophical question and inquiry and, and problem. And I think there's like a little that. bit of that in this in this subject matter. Cause I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, like, I, and there are a lot of other actors who people kind of ponder about, like, well, why don't we bring them back? Christopher Reeve is a big one that yeah. people have talked about for years now because of and, Superman. And Humphrey and Bogart like was another name brought up. I think. Yeah. 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 Very coincident. Very coincidentally, we're going to be talking a lot about him. Uh, in, in and and sure, it would be great to have seen more movies from them, but they had yeah. their they had their time, and we have their movies, and we can go and rewatch their movies. Right. You know? I mean, it's I don't understand this need to go back and and try to you know George Lucas the past <laughs> and mess. Well, you know. there, well, I mean, you can extrapolate that outward. To a lot of other things where people are very held up about past things and about past, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, watching, watching or watching older stuff, listening to older stuff, like kind of just wanting to go back to the past, if you will. It's kind of like back to the future almost yeah. um, going back to the past when uh, and by doing I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I mean, we're, we li- you and I literally watch old movies sure. for a reason, but. You have to be, I think, kind of aware or have the awareness that you need to push forward as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't just be stuck in the past constantly. Definitely. You need to, you know, move forward with, you know, certain things and certain things like that. Granted, there are certain uh, risks and problems that arise. Like, you know, moving forward now, people want to, you know, uh, put James Dean in a movie as opposed to casting a, another actor or, or actress or something I, like I that. Think, I think that this thing should be used... To, with a with a with a specific purpose, like for instance, Par- Forrest Gump, they do a lot of manipulations to to you know because they're going through history and they bring up you know people and back you know that that in them occasions then that's when it's great to use this, this technology. I don't think it needs to be, you know, something that is the forefront of whatever the the project is. Well, I, I brought up this example the other night as well, where um, I I told you that I wouldn't mind them using something like this. If there if there was a film that was set in a specific time, and was centered around you know a you know specific group of people, or there were people that were around at the time, like I brought up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. where you know what you know there's a scene in that movie where um, they go to like a, a Hollywood party and there's like celebrities around. Yeah. You know what I mean? If they wanted to kind of you know CGI someone standing in the background or walking by or something like that or just some just to have somebody there aesthetically that works cuz it's very small it's sure. very specific and it's it, it's not cumbersome and it doesn't take over a movie or a headline or really anything like that in this case it's a little bit it's a little bit different it, this is somebody who's actively in the movie i mean granted uh, what what they do in that situation what Tarantino did is he 
you know, casted people to play specifically. Yeah, I would much Margot rather, Robbie was Sharon Tate. Well, I mean, well, yeah, just like I was, we were talking about Doctor Sleep the other night. And spoiler for, I guess, somewhat of Doctor Sleep, but in right. the movie they do some, you know, shot, you know, looking back at, at The Shining, but they decided right. to cast other actors to play the characters. I thought that was really bold. Yeah, actually. yeah, it was bold because um, they could have easily. It would have been so easy just just grab the footage yeah. that that Warner Brothers has in you know in in stock and just put it in the movie but they decided to i guess not break the continuity of the aesthetic yeah. because the Stanley Kubrick aesthetic is different than i think the aesthetic the aesthetic that Mike Flanagan was going for sure. even though there was a lot of homage I, you know with it but he wanted to kind of just keep the flow of the movie well, going th- if you see you know Jack Nicholson if you see um, Shelley Duvall, you know that that that's gonna like it's gonna like take you out of that movie. I think. I, I think also bit. you gotta also think about it as as you know if you're seeing the movie through Danny's eyes, you know we right. see our parents differently at you know than we did when we were a kid, like and you can re- he's remembering it differently and they don't your right. parents might look different you know to you. Yeah, and it's not it, yeah we're we're kind of you know, it's not like shot for shot long sequences but it's like certain specific moments and then there are certain additional moments that they put in there as well that uh, that I thought were were nice that they decided to go with kind of lookalikes if you will. They're, they're look a, make the, yeah, yeah. They do their best. Extent, to, they're lookalikes. Yeah, yeah. But I I much rather that than some somebody just, CGI. They're just using stock footage? Yeah. I mean, you could just use the stock footage, but I, no, no, like no. I said, I'd much rather the actors. I'd much rather the actors oh, okay. that be in there that the, the standing act than some CGI. Completely could you, CGI. Ma- could you imagine if there was a Jack Nicholson de-aged oh, God, thing be... in there? It would have. It would have. I mean, look, if Jack wants to come out. back and do them shots, then sure. But it would be probably yeah. Pretty I mean, bad. he's retired now. Yeah, from yeah. What, yeah, he hasn't made a movie in years. Wasn't like the bucket list his last movie? I think it's one of his last movies. He did a yeah. movie with um. With uh, what's his name that did as good as it gets, um, James L. Brooks. He did a movie okay. with James L. Brooks with Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon. It was one of his last. I think that was his last movie. Okay, I always like to think his last movie is The Departed. But <laughs> yeah, well, that's it's his not last, exactly accurate. Probably his last <laughs> great movie. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, look, I mean, we both are not really for this thing. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on it, see how it goes, but I. I just don't like where we're going with this. I yeah, it, and I like I told Stephen, it's not like it's a it's a big time company trying to pull this off. Yeah, it's it's companies that I've never heard their names before when it comes to production and and things like that. So I don't know where they're going to get the money to do it, but I give them all the credit for trying it out. But they're gonna they're gonna they needed it. They 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 should be more aware that they're spo- that they would have gotten some backlash because apparently. It came well, on afterward that they, they they were surprised about the backlash. Well, and I'm like, we're, really? We're, dude, they knew, were they knew they were going to get shit. Come on. They, but Come they, on. Also, you, you know, they know. also know that shit doesn't, you know, like bad talk is just as good as good talk. So now they're yeah. now that people have now they have attention on them. So that's what right. they want. But let's let's get off of this topic. Let's go back to the 1950s. Actually, coincidentally, with James yes. Dean. Um, we're going to be starting our spotlight now on In a Lonely Place. I think it's appropriate to jump into this now it is november like i said it's noir vember and like i said last year noir noir vember is a hashtag that started actually i think like 10 years ago in 2009 by a uh, a friend of mine a film blogger a movie fan a just an all-around cinephile in uh, Mar- um, mariah gates 
and she has a Twitter handle at Old Films Flicker, I think is her Twitter handle. And she has a, I believe, a movie blog as well. But she started this back like 10 years ago. And it's now a a kind of worldwide hashtag thing that, you know, cinephiles and movie fans get together every noir, every, every noir November, every November to celebrate <laughs> film noir. Uh, Steve and I are big film noir fans. So we, of course, celebrate as well. And similar to last year, we did a spotlight in November, we'll do a spotlight now, and it's In a Lonely Place, which came out in 1950. It is a film directed by Nicholas Ray, starring Humphrey Bogart, as well as Gloria Graham. And it is considered one of the, you know, best film noirs of all time. Um, it's, on, it's on a lot of lists. It's on, a lot of, lists. it's on a lot of it's lists. It's a Criterion Collection. Put it out. There's a Criterion Blu-ray and DVD that I have. I think, Stephen, you have it as well. Yes. Um, it's one that was very popular when it came out. I remember going there for the Criterion sale, and they only had, like, one or two copies. And of course, I grabbed mine right away, and then you always get those people who come in after you mm-hmm. looking for the same stuff you have, yep. and you're like, oh, damn it, I feel <laughs> so bad. But hey, whatever. That happened to me. That happened to me this past sale, the pet sale that's going on now with John Waters' Polyester. Somebody wanted it, and they only had one copy. But then I went back there yesterday, and they have now they have like six or seven yeah. copies. So, yeah, we're you know, talking. The, the world writes itself. Right the, world. We're good. the world writes itself. Yeah. Uh, but this film is a film noir. It's a drama. It's somewhat of a mystery. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar with our spotlight episodes, uh, we do spoil the heck out of these movies. So definitely go and watch them if you haven't. If you're not. If you don't know about this movie, or if you just want to rewatch it just to refresh yourself, and it's a yourself. nice brisk watch. It's ninety-four minutes long. Ninety-four minutes, which is really a lot shorter than I thought it was, and I kind of like that. It's ninety-four minutes. It's very, very brisk. It's, it's, it's very, very brisk. easy it's to very, watch. It's very efficient. It it doesn't waste a lot. You know, it doesn't. It really doesn't waste anything. Everything no. everything matters, and it's either for story or for character, and it, and that's the way. And you know, Nicholas Ray is just he was one of the greats. Um, yeah, he was a his work um, is predominantly in the 1950s. Yeah. That's where he did his best stuff. Um, he kind of like personal reasons. He kind of like you know his career kind of declined because he was like an alcoholic as yeah. well as a drug user. So he's apparently a very volatile guy. So his so people wouldn't work with him anymore. And he was in a, he and kind he was of, in a relationship kind of with actress, wasn't he? Yeah, he he's one of those directors who's notorious for doing stuff like that. Uh, specifically, I remember he was having an affair slash relationship with Natalie Wood, I believe, while they were making Rebel Without a Cause, when I think Natalie Wood was um, was going out with, I think, Dennis Hopper at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, old Hollywood scandals, not scandals, but, you know, like people yeah. moving around, relationships. Those, those relationships are always weird, but apparently he had a very volatile, uh, tempestuous relationship I read I read that word. I was going to say that's a good word. That's a good word. That's a ten dollar yeah. word. Ten dollar word with Gloria Graham um, from like nineteen forty eight to nineteen fifty two. They were married, I believe. Yeah. Um, but it was very rocky, rocky marriage. Um, this is. I guess I'll dive into this right now because we're going into it. This is fascinating. Not fascinating. It's weird. <laughs> very weird. Stephen and I. I told Stephen this is about to get weird. This was going to get weird. So it's going to get weird. So Gloria Graham and Nicholas Ray were married, like I said. Um, and this is kind of, you know, it may be true, may not be true. Uh, somebody has um, debunked it or whatever, um, you know, rumor mill stuff, where apparently Gloria Graham was caught with Nicholas Ray's son from a previous marriage uh, 
when like the son was like 13 or 14 years old or something like that they were caught you know in in bed together mm-hmm. and apparently that's effectively what ended their marriage but i think like a biographer later on kind of said no that's not true that was just like a rumor or some slanderous thing mm-hmm. but either way either way um later on after Gloria Graham and Nicholas Ray actually Gloria Graham and Nicholas Ray had a child together keep that in mind that's important so they had a kid together and then Gloria Graham and Nicholas Ray's son who I believe his name was Tony Ray, Tony Ray yeah Anthony Tony Ray they later on ended up getting married and having two children of their own so you can imagine the way that family tree kind of looks wait what it's a little wait, who got it's a little circular who? it's a little circular so who got married uh, so, to who? So, um, Anth- so Anthony Nic- Nicholas Ray and, Gl- and Gloria Graham were married. They had a kid. Yes, right. Nicholas Ray had a kid from a previous marriage that then later went on and married Gloria Graham, and they had two kids together. Holy shit! You can imagine the we- how weird that, cl- that, that family tree uh... looks like. I think it's more weird for the children in that group than it is for the adults. At that, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, so at one point. So, Tony Ray, who's Nicholas Ray's son, is like was Gloria Graham's stepson and then later husband. It's gross. That's weird. It's very weird. (laughs) And then like their children would be. Man, I couldn't even. I can't even think of this. My head's. We gotta stop now. It's gross. But going down a rabbit hole here. Needless to say, just look that up on Google. There's probably like. um, family, there's like a family tree, um, that looks very weird. Actually, my friend, uh, Mariah Gates, I think made a fan, like did like a sketch of like what that family tree would look like years ago. And it, and it's just, it's very interconnected <laughs> as you could imagine. So uh-huh. anywho, that, that happened, that, that's kind of one of the things that's kind of outside of this movie. Sure. Gloria Graham was an actress who was, um, kind of seen as a, a, a femme fatale. Yeah. You know, she was in a lot of these mo- a lot of these film noir films, her career really only kind of was reached its prominence in the 1950s as well, similar to Nicholas Ray. She had a, uh, she unfortunately had a problem where um, she was very insecure about the way her face looked, yeah. specifically her upper lip, where she had numerous cosmetic surgeries to, you know, you know, to, to fix it in her what into what her mind she wanted it to be. You know what I mean? You see a lot of these kind Shit, of... Shit, that's a thing. That's a thing women today. That's a thing now. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a thing now where, you know, I think it's a mental illness it, personally. It must where be. It's, yeah. Where people get extremely insecure about the way they look and they just keep having surgery after surgery after surgery to, you know, quote unquote, fix it or make it better. When in fact, they're kind of making it look worse yeah. and worse. And it's really unfortunate that that was something that happened with her as well. She ended up... Uh, passing away in 1981 at the relative young age of 57. Yeah. At 57. She was born in 1923, died in 1981, 57. Unfortunately, um, she didn't do much past the 1950s, like I said. She was in Oklahoma, that famous musical. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where her, her career kind of peaked. And a lot of people didn't quite believe her in the, in, in the role because they were so used to seeing her in, in the roles that yeah. you know, the noir and whatnot, yeah. yeah. She she did a lot of TV work afterwards. Nicholas Ray's career kind of faded in the '60s. Um, I remember him showing up. I think isn't he in the movie, Ben Bender's film, The American Friend? 
Yes. I think he may be I in think that so. film. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's famously one of the act, one of the um, directors who have eye patches. I think he does. <laughs> I think he did. There was um, uh, John Ford had an eye patch. Uh, Fritz Lang had an eye patch, and I think Nicholas Ray ended up having an eye patch. I could be wrong on that. I just remember that from like interviews and things like that. But um, but moving on from there, let's dive into In a Lonely Place. It is based on a book of the same of the name. same name, which came out in 1947, um, and it was written by Dorothy B. Hughes. Now, in typical Hollywood, you know. Typical Hollywood world, they take a they take a book and then they they adapt it, readapt it, and then like by the time you get to the screenplay, it looks nothing like yeah. the original book. They take, they that happens they take all the very time. Minimal elements from the actual right. book and twisted it into whatever they wanted it to be. They probably more or less wanted the title than anything. <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah, it's a great. It's title. a great title. Yeah. And the, like I said, the film starts Humphrey Humphrey Bogart and his his name, his character's name, I think is really cool. Dixon Steele, which is a really good pulpy, <laughs> pulpy name. And Gloria Graham's character is Laurel Gray, another good character name. And this film is, I believe, set right after World War Two. It's not quite, it's not set in 1950, but I think it's set in sometime post-World War Two. It, it definitely uh, is, and, because, they our, because our main character is a war veteran. Yeah, they, they reference back to World War Two several times. So it could be actually 1950. I could be wrong. Or it could be set when the book came out, which was like 47, 48. But it starts off right away um, with um, a confrontation, right? Yeah, it con- yeah. It starts off he, with... He, he goes into a bar. He's sitting down with some people he knows. And then kind of uh, this guy kind of starts, get, you know, jabbing at him, uh, saying that, you know, he hasn't made anything good in a while. And, and, and I sent this scene actually to... Andrew, because it re- was you did. it kind of it kind of reminded me of the Martin Scorsese thing going on right now. Because in the scene, Humphrey Bogart's character uh, talks about how you know uh, they keep making popcorn movies. You know, right. they're not making anything yeah, original. You, you just know. keep saying, yeah, it's like you just just keep making the same movie over and over. Yeah, again. yeah. Well, I would even reference before that, like the first scene we see in this movie is he's driving in the car, and the woman there's a woman in the car next to him. And she's like, "Oh yeah, I was, I was. You don't remember me? I was in the, I was in the picture that you, that you were just wrote or something like that." And then the guy, the guy uh, sitting next to her, the dri- who's driving her, gets all upset. Yeah. And like they're about to fight, and then the guy, dri- the guy drives off. Yeah. And right away, y- there's there's a sense of uh, a, a quick to anger. Yeah, an aggression emotion, that he has. Yeah. An aggression yeah. that he has, and that that plays out. Throughout the whole movie, yeah, that's a big thing in this movie. Yeah. I wanted to make. Uh, I was specifically talking about that, okay. but it carries out. It carries over to the next okay. scene yeah. where he goes into this bar. And the premise for this film, you know, basic synopsis before we really dive into it, you know, is a a screenplay a screenplay writer a screenwriter portrayed by Humphrey Bogart is a murder suspect, and he is and and he is cleared by his neighbor portrayed by Gloria Graham, and then they develop a relationship, and then, you know, things ensue from there. But he is a potentially violent screenwriter. That's something that's also important. So right away, we get that violent tendencies in there. They go to this club where he he meets with his agent, and his agent is kind of this, this, uh, like, he's, this a, yeah, he's kind guy. of a yes man. You know, he like... Yeah, kind of a yes man, kind of like a guy you can push around. Yeah. Um, 
and his 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 um what was his his um agent's name is it miles it was Lipman. His, his last name was Lipman, and it is um, Mel. 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 Mel Lipman. Mel Lipman, and he he goes in there and and he's having a drink. And then there's this other actor who's uh, there's this other guy who's in there who's an act, kind of like a an older actor who's pretty much drunk his way out of a career. Yeah. To the point where like he can't even remember lines anymore to get a job. He's kind of just a drunk essentially. And then there's the, this young hotshot walks over, like Steven said, and this young hotshot walks over and says, oh, I just finished doing this great picture, you know, and apparently, like, this dude's, like, the, he's, like, the son of a, a, the director or the son of a producer or something like that. This young hotshot, you know, cocky guy, and, of course, Humphrey Bogart just hates this guy's guts all the time, and this guy's just, like, ripping on this, the, the old drunk actor, and, and... And basically, Humphrey Bogart just punches this yeah, dude, just gets, in the yeah, fight, yeah, stop yeah. punching him, and they, they get in a fight. And and basically, uh, and afterward, the guy, he, the, they kind of go their separate ways. And then, but before then, um, I think his agent gave him a book to read because he wants, because uh, somebody wants him to adapt it into a screenplay, to to make this to make a movie. So he's got this book, and he goes to the the uh, coat check girl, who's Mildred Atkinson. And Mildred, and she's portrayed by Martha Stewart, not the Martha Stewart that we all know. Before <laughs> no, you jump to those conclusions, one. no, not the same one, but actress Martha Stewart. She's actually, I believe, still still with us. Um, and she, and she's actually already read the book. Yeah, because she she got the book earlier, and she was and she read almost the whole thing. And they have like a, this little back and forth where she's like, "Oh, it's really good. I just have a couple of pages left. Can I finish it?" And she's like, and he's like, "Oh, he's like, okay, knock yourself out." And what we get. Just in this first scene with Humphrey Bogart, he's a very relaxed guy, very snide, very sarcastic, very, you know, but he's also, like we said, prone to anger. You know what I mean? He seems like a loner. Maybe he's you definitely, know, in a lonely he, place. He's definitely a loner, but he's also, um, he, he is a man's man type of dude. He's into the man thing. You know, he's definitely a womanizer of sorts. He's all oh, about yeah, the Yeah, he's definitely, because he literally, I mean, after that confrontation, he he basically, he, I mean, he flirts with the the uh, the young Kochek girl, Mel, uh, Mildred Atkinson. He's like, you know, well, he, he, he basically gets her to come back to his his place yeah, yeah. with him. And initially, you know, how, initially it's it's obvious he's doing it, perhaps for you know sexual reasons. Yeah, oh, definitely. Do you get that feeling? Oh, definitely. I mean, definitely. Yeah. And then, and but I guess it's, but he uses the excuse like that she's already read the book so that so that she can tell him what the book's about, yeah. so he doesn't have to read it yeah. essentially because he doesn't want he doesn't give a shit about it he doesn't want to read it, um, so he gets her to come back with him, uh, to she cancels she cancels a date complex. with a she cancels a date which is important with a guy I think his name was Henry Hessler yeah Henry I know it was Henry yeah yeah Henry, um. But they go back. Yeah, it's down here somewhere. Yeah, but they go yeah. back and, and, and. They go back to his place and they run into the Gloria Graham character yeah. as they're going in. She's his next door neighbor. Laurel Gray is her next door, is his next door neighbor. And I think she's relatively new there. She said she'd, or... she'd moved in a couple days before or something like that. <laughs> and they go in. 
He gets comfortable. He asks her. He asks her to, uh, if she wants a drink, and she says, "Was it is it ginger ale it, with a lemon twist?" Yeah, yeah, something it's like called, that. Yeah. Oh, not non non alcoholic. Just put it. That yeah, it's non alcoholic, <laughs> but it's there's a fancy word for it. I think it was like gin and tonic. A hor- no, it was a horse neck. No, it was no, it was ginger ale. Is no. Yeah, it was ginger ale and lemon twist. But there's a fan. You know how like alcoholic drinks have fancy names. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I think it was called like the horse, the horse's neck, or something like that. I don't know. She mentions it anyway. She mentions it, so she has her drink. He's actually slipped into like his more comfortable clothing, which yeah. is like like a smoking jacket, robe, and ascot. Yeah, I guess so, so you can like whip that. it off when it's time to go. <laughs> I guess you know? so. But what is interesting though is he never makes any like advances towards her. Not not in, you know not I mean? in like, a physical way. Not in, not a, in a physical way. He obviously no. wants more, and she I think notices right. it, but it's not. He's not. He's not pushing her. Um, no, he, there's no, there's no sexual assault in this no. scene. There's no, you know, for like, like, you know, do me this favor and, you know, yeah. I'll do this for you or something like that. Like, like, there's no, I hate to say this, there's no Harvey Weinstein situation no, happening no. here. He's hoping, um, he's hoping he can charm her and get right. her to stay and, and get, he, you know, you know, you know, you know, when you're in a situation, you just, you're looking for the signs. And, right. and, you know, unfortunately, this girl uh, is very innocent and very much right. is not. She is very innocent. Very um, and very not interested in, in this older man. No, no. <laughs> and he picks up on that and he and she's telling him like the story of the book and he's kind of like, like not really taking, not really like listening. And he's kind of just predicting like all the things that are happening in this book and whatnot. And and what and so and their conversation kind of. Kind of ends like I believe yeah. it's it's around twelve thirty at well, night. He, it's late he, at he night. He notices his his neighbor outside in her um, negligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's That's just like kind of staring uses. out at him, and it's kind of weird, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> um, but he, so she, so she leaves, and instead of like. What? It's kind of a well. He was. Movie, he honestly. was. He didn't yeah. drive her home or or get no. her to a, get her a cab. He just. I don't know. Maybe I'm old fashioned, Stephen, but I'm not like gonna let like someone just walk out into the dead of 1230 at night to the bus stop or whatever to the like to the cab like what was it, it was a taxi cab it pickup like a place pick like around the corner yeah, yeah and i'm like that's a little that's a little skeevy i know it's like i guessing it's a good neighborhood it's you know hollywood hollywood hills in the in the 50s i assume manson. it's not like well, manson was right around the corner guys i know i guess yeah <laughs> I guess, but still i i still wouldn't have done that myself especially when i'm the one who invited her over you know what i mean um, well, you know, he's, but, we, we know he's not a great dude. No, one thing we learn is that this guy's not a good guy. And in similar film noir fashion, our quote-unquote protagonist is not really a protagonist. He's kind of he's, he's, a he's, very he's, gray he, character. He's gray, and, he, and, you know, I would say more naturalistic. It's not, yeah. not everybody's uh, Superman, not Clark Kent, you know. No, he, <laughs> if he he's, he's gray but leaning towards dark. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, and which which is very you know typical for film noirs is the, these guys aren't you know there's no black and white heroes in film noir. There's no you know you know it's not cut and dry good versus evil stuff like that. They're good guys and bad guys, I guess, but the good guys are there's, very there's typically an affliction that makes right. it hard I for mean, them e- to do the right thing. Even in the past film noirs that we've talked about, Out of the Past, as well as Gilda, you know, the male leads in those films were weren't good guys. You know, Robert Mitchum had a past life of, you know, working for a gangster. Um, and Gilda, Glenn Ford's character, treated Gilda pretty terribly yeah. <laughs> at points in that movie. Um, and so, it, you know, just, this is 
you know, typical in that same vein of those two films, as well as film noir in general. And so he lets her go off into the night, and then, and then the scene elapses to where his friend, who's a detective, yeah. Wakes him up at what, like four thirty in the morning or something? Yeah, like he that? comes in at a weird hour, and he's like, "You could have waited a little longer next time," <laughs> you know. If you, which was later later in the movie, but he, you know, yeah, yeah, his cop. Yeah, yeah, he does say that. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's his friend, um, Brub. Is the name Brub? I, yeah, Brub, Brub Nikolai. Name. What a name, <laughs> Brub Nikolai. Um, visits him and then he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. He doesn't know anything what's going on. Like his guy he's like well, he's being very his, he's being very, you know, vague about it. He's like very yeah, his his friend just says you come you gotta come down to the station with us and he thinks it's actually about him, you know, Beating getting in a guy. fight with that young yeah, young actor guy earlier in the movie. And it's not. Basically he they have a good like kind of back and forth. What we learn is that they're actually like war buddies. Yeah, they okay, were in the yeah. war together and um and uh, was it Dixon was a CO, a commanding officer. Yeah. So he was the you know authority when it came to in a military you know re- regiment or you know hierarchy. It's kind of interesting how the things are reversed now. Whereas the guy who was his underling in the army is now a you know a police officer slash detective. Yeah. You know that kind of power of control kind of switches. Um, so he brings him in and come to find out that poor Mildred Atkinson uh, was found dead in, I think... Off the side of the road? Yeah, like her body was thrown out of a car off the side of the road and she was strangled. What we learned is she wasn't strangled with hands, but like strangled with somebody like putting their forearm around her her neck and that's how they they strangled her. So So they bring him in for questioning and he tells them, you know, what we what we saw basically, she left, and that was the last time he saw her and whatnot. But they also bring in Gloria Graham's character to to talk to as well, and she says that she ran into them and that uh, she saw Mildred leave at 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 at, at around one o'clock, twelve thirty, one o'clock, somewhere one o'clock, around there. Yeah, yeah. yeah one o'clock, because it was a half an hour after she had saw them the first time, yeah. and then the guy asks her why. How do you know it was a half an hour? She's like, oh, that's how long it takes me to get ready for bed. Yeah, and then half they an make hour. a joke about the the lingerie and <laughs> yeah, yeah, things like that. Um, so he, the, so they leave together, and that's when he makes that line where like, hey, you should have you should have picked me up later and whatnot. Um, and they leave together, and she and he wants to uh, escort her home because they're going to the same place. Yeah. And this is kind of their first. Um, kind of interaction, interaction. flirt, kind you know, of real, flirtation, flirtatious interaction. Yeah, and she 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 denies his ride home and decides to yes, get a ride does. home with the cop. Um, so yeah, yeah, he, yeah. What is interesting is the the discussion that the um, detective and the captain have afterward, where about him, where they're like, is it was it was his reaction weird? Because he was very nonchalant yeah. when it came to questioning, he wasn't surprised. Yeah, which yeah. is, I, I would have been surprised if someone I had just, you know, saw it was dead. Yeah, uh, he's very non-compassionate, no sympathy, no but, nothing. But his, fr- but his, his, you know, friend—I guess you could call him friend—backs uh, him up though. He's like in the military. That's he, the way he's always been. He's always yeah. been that way. And you know, you know, being you know, a person that's spent a lot of time alone in his personal life. Sometimes you can you can become dispassionate when you're not around people all the time. 
Yeah, what we've learned is that he works. He does his work at home. Yeah. He doesn't even have like an office or anything like that. Yeah, when you're like, when you're when you're not home. interacting with people, you can become dispassionate. You know, you can you can not disconnect disconnect and not care about people and not have the same reactions to things that most people would. Um. So yeah. Yeah. While so while he's walking home, he decides to send uh, two dozen white roses to uh, Mildred Atkinson and the guy who the the gentleman who works at the flower shop or whatever is like oh like what's her address and he goes he goes oh look it up in the paper she was just murdered and then he walks <laughs> away and i'm like damn jeez <laughs> damn what a way to what a way to put in a flower order damn um but when he gets back to his his um home he checks up on laurel and that's where he finds out that she is an aspiring actress who was just in a bunch of low budget movies nothing really of note um and she, and I think that's when they kind of, no, he wants to have, doesn't he want to have breakfast with her? And she denies him again, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And it's very, very, uh, that's when they're kind of, that's where you see like the budding relationship kind of go, sorry, kind of really start up. What ends up, what does end up happening is they do end up falling for one another. Yeah. And what is interesting is I find that when they fall for one another, there's a focus shift in the movie. I don't know if you felt this, Stephen, where up to that point, it felt very much like Dixon's story. Like, from his point of view, his perspective, he was our main character. Yeah. And then I think there's a character shift moment to Laurel, Yeah. where she is now our main character. I felt that. Because the rest of the movie, progressing from there that we'll get into is her kind of being very skeptical about their relationship. And a lot of the information she's getting is from, um, like outside, so like outside yeah. people. And then her, and then, and then it, all we see from him is kind of actions that keep reinforcing what other people are saying yeah. about him. It, it, you the, know what the I mean? The movie come, you know, not only does, and, it, and what's interesting about this film noir compared to others is that, Though there is a uh, a murder mystery at the kind of at the center of it, it doesn't right. necessarily make it about that. Uh, it's more about no. how that thing affects their relationship, um, and, yeah. and how it makes him makes her question him as a person and whether he actually is the monster that he think he People might say he, is. he might he might be you know. Um, and so yeah, as he as we go into the movie, she starts to fight uh, with herself about whether you know this is the man she thinks he is. Um, and what we also learn is that their relationship has positive attributes to it as well. Sure. The next scene after they get together is kind of a bit of a flash forward a, bit, a little while. And we see the um, Mel Lipman, the aging character, he's kind of like snooping around and he's trying to look inside of his apartment and whatnot just to like check up on him. And, and she discovers him and she's like, what are you doing snooping around out there? And then he invites her in, and what we learn is that, is that since this relationship has started, uh, Dix cannot stop writing. Like he's yeah. inspired, he's got a new vigor in him to really um, like hammer out work. Whereas, whereas before he just had a very lethargic, I don't give a crap about anything type of feeling around him. But this relationship has now sparked a life in him and made him more enthusiastic about his work and his his general outlook in life <laughs> yeah and and he and she and he 
gets to the point where like where he doesn't even like sleep or know what day it is or what time <laughs> it is. He's just he's just sitting there just pounding those typewriter keys or whatnot. And she finally puts him to bed and and his 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 other friend shows up as well, the old drunk I think his name was Charlie. Yeah, he shows up again. You know, of course he has to have a drink and whatnot, but she puts him to bed and I think she then receives a call that she, they need her for further questioning. And this is when what we were just talking about really kicks into gear. Really, you know, the seeds are further planted and now we're starting to grow where uh, she's brought in and the captain is basically trying to tell her that this guy is not a good guy. He has a history of beating up people, abusing women, things like that. And to the where, where so she, he's trying to get her to flip on him, yeah. basically, basically like, oh, you know, you know, well, did least, you see what we, what you think you saw? Something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. To at least at least if there's a, if there's something that she's hiding that that she will flip. Um, but you know, of course, there's not anything to hide. She only has her perspective. So. Yeah, and 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 what we learn is, yeah, he has a rap sheet that goes back years yeah, yeah. of violent tendencies, and that's another thing that we talked about that was established early on. That's something that's been festering. So that that problem is festering and then like this this murder is festering as well where it just it just because there's no other there's no growing. other suspects there's no, no really other yeah they do bring in that other guy though henry kessler yeah and apparently he's got he he they they bring him in and i think he runs into him at some point in the movie and the guy what we learn i believe is the guy's like a businessman or something like that and or a banker or something and they have an interaction with one another where uh, Dixon thinks he's the one who did it. Yeah. Like, like that would be the one he would think of. There's also, um, there's another scene in the film where, um, oh, oh, actually, before he goes and sees Laurel the first time, where he goes and has dinner with um, his friend, yeah. um, Brub, and his wife, and they, re- and, they and he, like, like reenacts like what he, he thinks the murder scene. scene would be, yeah. and what is interesting is like it freaks the it freaks out the wife, and it's like, and it, make, it makes and I can it, understand it, it why. hurts it hurts his case even more for yeah, being and, innocent. Yeah, and and what is interesting is that like yeah, it hurts his case more, but you have to realize that he is a writer, he's, he's a, a screenwriter, he's a creative, he's an imaginative, yeah. creative guy, like you say. So he's thinking of nuance type stuff all the time when you're a creative person your mind is moving differently than non-creative people and i'm not using that term negatively it's just it's different you know what i mean like you're thinking of you know a bunch of different imaginative situations whereas a non-creative person is i guess more realistic if you will and we you know what i mean and we know from what we've seen so far in the film that he's not necessarily the most tactful per- person no he's very blunt yeah, yeah. you know what i mean he's, he's not, not thinking so, about how what he's saying is gonna affect no, somebody else no yeah. he in his mind he's just like i'm just reenacting what the scene would be like yeah. if anything i'm helping you, yeah. <laughs> you know, of what the scene would be like and that kind of freaks her out and that and yet it's another thing that just doesn't go against him there's a lot of things not going against him and there's another scene that comes up after after this where they go on that picnic yeah and there's a, a picnic like double date type thing with Brub and his wife, and uh, Laurel and Dixon, and it doesn't go well. Well, I mean, I mean, she doesn't tell her, him about them coming, bringing her back in for more questioning. 
No. So he gets because it would have pissed him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when when it gets brought up uh, by accident, it of course it pisses him off, and he you know ends the 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 picnic. And, get, and get, jumps in a, up, jumps in a car and starts flying down the road. She's in. Yeah, and, I li- I like how like the, before that kind of goes it goes south. He's just talking about how like the sand gets everywhere, and I'm just <laughs> thinking of like sand gets everywhere. Of course, George Lucas rough. stole that. <laughs> oh, you know he did. He also oh, what is it? You, apparently he you all, they all also this uh, movie stole a lot of um it's the scene with the, with the with them driving down the road very reminiscent of, of the scene in Catch uh, to Catch a Thief. If you watch the, there's a cha- there's a driving scene that the mm. shots are very similar. Well, To Catch a Thief came out afterward. Oh, well, then it's the other way around yeah. then. Yeah. yeah, it's the other way around. I think To Catch a Thief came out 55, 56, somewhere yeah. around there. Because um, it's kind of, I think it's one of those 50s Hitchcock's movies. Um, but I understand what you're talking about, where it's those, those winding, the, the winding shots, roads. The winding shots, the, the shots where you see their feet hit the brakes. Like, it's like yeah. all very similar. Then, yeah, To Catch a Thief came out in 1955, yeah, yeah. so it would be five years after this. But when it goes, so it goes south because because the um I keep calling her the wife. She's gotta have a real name. <laughs> She's Laura, gotta have Laurel? a real name. No, the um uh, Brub's wife. Oh, Brub's wife. Um, let's see. His name is Brub Brub Nikolai. Brub, His wife is Sylvia. Miss Brub. <laughs> yeah, Miss. Her name is Sylvia. Sylvia okay. Nikolai. I feel like it's so negative. Like the wife. The well, wife. Well, you know, and, uh, it's hard yeah, to remember. Everything. Sylvia. Yeah, they don't really bring her up her name a lot, to be honest. Um, but yeah, her name is Sylvia. So Sylvia says like, because they were talking about like marriage and kind of jokingly around, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Lochner, who is the captain? Lochner wants to be invited to your wedding." And then, and then, then it's like, and then she's like, "Oh, Lochner, I meant Brub. Brub said that, yeah." <laughs> like, and then, yeah, but no, she tries to play it off, and it doesn't it doesn't work? Yeah. So, like Stephen said, it's like, "Oh, when did you go see?" You know, when did you go see Lochner? She was like, oh, I wasn't going to bring it up because I know you get mad. And then he's pissed and he's driving like 70 miles an hour. There's a shot of the speedometer just going up and up and up, driving through those Hollywood hills, those taking those those turns and whatnot. And, of course, he ends up kind of like not crashing into somebody, but kind of like clipping somebody yeah, or like, yeah. you know, getting close to one accident or something like that. Well, he almost, he cuts off a guy. He cuts him off. Yeah, he cuts off, but I think he bumps into him. He bumps him. into him, and then they yeah. both stop, and then they, you know, the guy, of course, uh, you know, is upset, comes up to him, you know, uh, in uh, any kind of aggression towards uh, Bogart's character is going to be in, and it's going to start a fight, you know, because being... Yeah, he, it's going to start a fight. He's, this he's, guy, quick, he's to, quick to prone fights. to violence. Yeah. He's prone to violence. I'll, I'll say this, he, he's trying to, he's he's trying not to right away, but then he just, he just you know... The, the the alarm goes off. The it all his anger. Wait, didn't he call him? Get, he 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 get, he says something. He calls him a name. And then, yeah, I can't. And it sets him off. And uh, he's like, you know, he's like, I can't stand for that. And he gets out and just beats the shit out of the dude. And yeah, he's, he's about to kill the he's guy. About like, he's about to kill the guy. Pummeling him. He, he, he picks, picks up, up a rock. rock. Yeah, yeah. He picks up a rock and and Glory Grant uh, and Laurel is just like. You know, stop, stop, stop! You're gonna kill him. And and, so, and and some could say that you know there there's been talks. You know, when you talk about the character that you know maybe he has a little bit of PSD. Um, you know, well, yeah, PTSD. Yeah, that, didn't think of that. that. That you know, you know, going through the army or whatever, whatever he was in, um, you know, cause you know it, it makes you react to things in a different way. And um, you know, he he was taught to you know re- return with violence when somebody's a aggressor towards him. So that's how he is in on the mainland, you know. People. Yeah, you. I mean, PTSD was something 
that has been around for a long time in in people who have served in military in various forms in various wars i mean the term always changed for every every war like i think world war 1 it was shell shock yeah yeah uh you know what i mean but things were you know it would change in to modern day terms where it would be you know post traumatic stress disorder yeah. you know ptsd stands for and he could very well have had it yeah. have you know have it you know this idea of you just you know uh, you know, um, reaction. You know, act. You know, action or reaction. Because if anything, the military trains you to be aggressive. You know yeah. what I mean. In in many situations, uh, specifically, you know, war is an aggressive thing. Yeah. Uh, so that I, I would not put it past that. Yeah. Um, but she st- but she she she, she stops him. him stop and he stops and you know. Then apparently later uh, he does pay medical bills or whatever you know damage on the car gives him gives him money later. Uh, yeah, because there's like a pay, there's a shot of a newspaper that says you know you know so, I forgot what the guy's name was like John Mason or something like that and you know was you know brutally beat you know person uh, you know you know person you know search for or something like that. Yeah. Um, so he sends like an, an anonymous he yeah. sends like three hundred dollars. Which I guess was a lot of money at the time. I think I think I, I when I was re- watching a uh, uh, an analysis, they said that it's the equivalent of like three thousand dollars today, maybe. Oh, yeah, so, so a good amount of money. Um, yeah. And so, but he so does he, it. But he does it behind um, her back. He does. He doesn't know that she she did, that he did that. So it's you know a lot of a lot of what happens in this film is that you know though he she's seeing some bad things from him, she doesn't see the good things because he doesn't. He doesn't bring her in on it. He he shields her from it. You know he's he's not sh- he's not being completely vulnerable with her, right? You know he's well. There's that. Well, there's that that thing that you know that I think a lot of you know the male gender is kind of fighting with now is this idea that you're not supposed to be yeah vulnerable or have feelings or or be soft in any way because you know you're conditioned so much. That that's so anti-male or yeah. so anti-masculine that you can't do that, or there's something wrong with doing that. You know, you can't be too nice, if you yeah. will. You know what I mean? It's a it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. But it's not really. It's if anything, it's a sign of you know humanity. Yeah. <laughs> sign of sign of humanity and sign of kind of that you're a nuanced person who's not just entirely one way. It's all part of your your human makeup or your characteristics. And he, you know, like you said, he he hides all of those things. So all we see, or all we see from him, and what she sees, is all of the these actions that that um, reinforce what everyone else is saying. You know, the captain has said it. Um, Rub has said it. Even the even the uh, the maid hates him yeah. and thinks he's just an ass, <laughs> an asshole. But, but, but his his but he's he's an asshole to her. Yeah, and, you know and what I mean. His agent defends him. Is the only yeah, one his that agent's really... the only one who defends him. Yeah, is is the only one who probably actually like knows him, I guess. Um, and and it's really interesting how just more aggressive he's getting throughout the second half of this movie. And a lot of it is, you know, kind of it's now like I said, it switched to her story of her dealing with this and how she is reacting and how she is uh, going to react. And it gets to a point where I find it very fascinating that that like he want like. He, like that, Bogart's character was so blinded 
by what he was doing that he wanted to marry her. Like, she was going to marry him. Like, he thought that that was going to be an endgame for them. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I, I, are you that unaware of the effect you're having well, on yeah, her he, and the effect you're having on others? When people are desperate, they, 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 she's, he's trying to keep her around by putting a ring on her finger. You know, and, and it's, you know, she she's a lot smarter than that. <laughs> yeah, and apparently, like, yeah, she she's, has a lot of distress happening with her. Um, but she agrees to it because she's afraid to upset Scared. Him. Yeah. And, and you see, and, and the film is very modern in in this kind of toxic dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I want to use the modern term here. Bogart is is a toxic a toxic man. He has a lot of toxic masculinity of what we were just talking yeah. about. And I know that's like a triggered word now, or, or a, a hot, a hot yeah, topic word, or something like that. But yeah. he's exhibiting very you know aggressive tendencies, very stubborn tendencies, very you know, controlling, um, you know, controlling but, tendencies. And he's unaware of, and he's unaware of how bad of a person he is. It's because you know everything I mean? he does is at a selfish need. Yeah. Everything he does, he thinks he's doing right, you know, and he thinks that he's going, so he thinks that they're going to get married and she, and they got to go to Nevada. Want to. She got, wants to, she, yeah, they're going to go, go to Nevada. They have, he has right. this whole thing planned out that they're going to, you know, go and I think they have to go to the courthouse or something like that or I don't say they gotta do a couple things and then they're gonna go to Las Vegas and get married yeah she, yeah that's what that's what he thinks and she's planning to run away yeah. to New York yeah. she's trying to get a plane out she's trying she's packing and he comes in and there is now there is before all this there yeah, is a dinner well, they have right yeah I want to say that that dinner is is them actually celebrating the engagement, right? It, 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 didn't they sell a script? It was the script that is, is getting picked up, right? Hit one of his scripts well, yeah, he just well, wrote. Yeah, but he didn't even know that that was it was submitted. Okay, so yet. it was about he the gets engagement. Mad when it, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are celebrating the engagement, like um, you know, Charlie walks in, still buzzed, I assume, and he's he congratulates them and says how beautiful she is and all that kind of good stuff. And then they're sitting at that table, and she gets a phone call. And the phone call is, I believe it's from the masseuse or the maid. I forgot who it was from. Steven, do you remember? I don't. I'm sorry. But it, initially, when I was watching it, I was like, please do not be the airline that said was going to call back. No, that happens later. <laughs> that happens later on, though. It does happen later on. Uh, but it didn't happen there. But he grabs the phone, um, which is... Yet again, that controlling tendency. He grabs the phone and is like, "And who's this?" and and all this, and just not letting, not letting her take the phone call that was for her. And then Mel is like, "You know, that's you know, that's for that's for her, that's for her." And he and he tries to grab the phone from him, and 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 he and um, Dixon hits him, yeah. like, kind of like backhands him, if you will, yeah. and I think breaks his breaks his glasses. And there's a there's an interesting scene with them in the restroom afterward. Where um, he's like, oh, man, did I break your glasses? And he's like, no. Well, yeah, you did. He's like, oh, is your eye cut? And he's like, no, no, it's not. And Mel is like, you know, if you want a different agent, you can go, you know, go get a different agent and whatnot. And and he said, and then he does it, he decides not to and whatnot. It's a really interesting, tender moment that we say that we uh, haven't seen much of well, from it's, him. It's, they're, 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 like we said earlier, I th- we think that he knows him the best. And it's right. like he, 
it's like almost he wants to be mad probably, but he he just he's more like ups probably more just upset than anything that. And then you know he knows that he has issues. Bogart's character knows he has issues and is upset that he upset maybe his only real friend. You know, right? You know, and it really is his only real friend, except the other. Thing, you know, the detective guy brought Maybe, is kind but, of his friend. You know, obviously, they don't hang yeah. out that much. <laughs> no, because there's a line way early on in the movie where, like, yeah, I called him up once. He said he was going to call me back, and he never did. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the kind of that's the kind of person that uh, Dix was or is. Yeah. Where he he says he'll call you back, and he never does. Um, but so he so this is when we get to the scene where she is she wants to she wants to leave him. And he's trying. He keeps knocking on the door. She's trying to, basically, like she's packing unpack up. her. Yeah. She's packing up, and now she was like, she's kind of like unpacking. She's putting on like her night clothes. She's like trying to like cover up that she's that she's like packing up to leave. Yeah. Right. So she goes and she locks her bedroom door, and then she goes. She unlocks the door from him, and he's like, "Oh, where's your?" And then they have a conversation, and he's like, "Where's your? Where's your?" Where's your ring? And she, because she's not wearing the ring, and she's like, "Oh, I put it away." And he's like, "You're never supposed to take that off." You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of, kind of the thing that I, I disillusion that disillusions me about marriage or things like that is, you know, this idea of, you know, the ring is a controlling thing. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's just me, you know, yeah. pontificating myself, my own opinion. But you know, she, um, so she's like, he's like, "Oh, put it, go put it on." She's, and she's like, "Oh, no, I don't, I don't want to do it right now." And she's like, "Oh, I'll go get it." And so he's yeah, like, but I "Why is your bedroom locked? Who's in there?" <laughs> you know what I mean? And, it it and really sets off the whole thing. Yeah, it really sets off. So she, he goes and then he sees the the um. Well, she sees he the, sees the suitcase and the suitcase. Yeah, he's like, no, "Yeah, well, I was suitcase. packing for us to go on, you know, go to Vegas. Yeah, packing us to go to go go to Nevada, get married and whatnot." And and then that's when the I think that's when the phone rings yeah. and that's this is the airline that says yeah there was a cancellation on the something something flight to New York yeah um, and he's like and then he gets really mad yeah. that she was gonna leave him and he's about and he's about to probably well, he picks, beat her he, up he goes and, and puts pushes her under the bed and starts to yes. choke her yeah. yes he does and the, but meanwhile while stuff like this is going on they're they're cross cutting to the police station. And Brub and Captain Lochner, and basically they got new they they got news that uh, Henry Kessler uh, admitted got they got a confession from him yeah like a cold confession from him that he he's the one who killed Mildred Atkinson. So in this moment, we as audience members know that we know what we already knew essentially yeah. that they're off the hook. They don't know that yet that this thing that's been lurking over them is. Is is now you know done? It's not it's not a problem anymore. Yeah. But obviously, we also know as viewers that it's too late. It's yeah. way too late for for any type of relief in that situation. So the phone rings again, while right before he's pretty much about to choke her out and kill her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're at that point, and it's it's Brub saying, "Yeah, we got it. We we got it. We got a confession. You guys don't have to worry about anything anymore. You guys are in the clear. You know, the, oh, man, aren't you guys so relieved?" He's like, yeah. and we, "We as viewers are like, oh boy, mm. you're a little. What do you not know?" <laughs> and, and, and then he hands the phone and, off to her. Yeah, because and... Lockton wants to like uh, like apologize to her about like you know what you know that extra questioning and all that kind of stuff, all that pressure he put on her, and 
that's the way the movie and, ends. And then she's like, I w- we, this would have been great yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, that's, and then he, he, and that, he goes out the door and walks, walks away as she's standing at the doorway crying. And then they say that – she says that line that he said earlier Yeah, I'm going to look up that line. It's like, um, um, I loved her I, – I loved you when we were together. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. I got it right here. Uh, I was born when she kissed yeah. me. I died when she left me. I lived I lived a few weeks w- while she loved me. Yeah. He That's was he was thinking about he was movie. putting he was writing in the script and that was something he wanted to put in the script and he said it to her earlier and then she kind of re-says it at the end. Yeah, he says that after actually after they drive away when he almost killed that guy, isn't yeah, that when he yeah, said yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Initially, um it's a great line. Yeah, it's a great. I line. was born when she kissed me. I died when she left me. I lived a few weeks while she loved me. That's a very noirish, femme fatale, definitive line, yeah. <laughs> where it's 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 a doomed romance yeah. that plagues a lot of film noir. And I think over over also over top of all of this, I think one kind of theme that it it runs over that maybe doesn't get really talked about a lot is is the idea of the false accusation. Um, you know, yes. you know how how false accusations things sh- you shouldn't accuse people blindly of things right. because it can make people it can it can when you falsely accuse somebody it can you know change people's perspectives of people it can make them you know of course in this case our our main character doesn't help his case a lot no but but still it puts it in people's minds and it makes it can ruin people's lives when you falsely accuse people um, or you you know in this case nobody necessarily falsely accused him but. You know, there was a cloud. There hanging was definitely over him a cloud movie. hanging over him, and when it's put out there, it can definitely ruin people's lives, and it almost ruined and it ruined this relationship. You know, it, oh yeah, they, this relationship is dead. Yeah, literally dead by the end of this movie. And I'll say this: I think Gloria Graham and Humphrey Bogart were great in the film. Oh, yeah. I think that you know Humphrey Bogart's one of my favorite actors of all time because he was so. He wasn't a very showy actor, but his he had a way of being ex- expressionistic without being expressionistic if that makes any sense at all um i just think of him i you know I, everybody always brings up casablanca i would that's one of my favorite movies of all time um so he he just had that he was very like what's interesting is his character in the movie the way he acted like that nonchalantness that that you know he didn't have a, he doesn't have a sense of urgency or he's not he's not showy in any way um, that's kind of how Humphrey Bogart was in a lot of his role. That's the way yeah. he acted. You know what I mean? He wasn't someone like, and I'm not negative like saying this, but someone like a James Cagney or even like like we brought up earlier on, someone like a James Dean who was very method and very emotional. You know what I mean? What is interesting is he's from kind of like an older, an older school of acting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The not, you know, before the method it's acting before, kind of took it's, over. It's before, you know... Method. It's before, uh, you know, um, Brando. You know, before Brando. Yeah, it's before Brando, Dean, Montgomery Cliff, yeah. Paul Newman. You know, all of these very, very expressionistic actors who all came from, like, the, you know, the, the method acting stage school Stage acting, in New York. a lot of stage you acting. Know, and Yeah, they did, a lot of them came from the stage acting. And Humphrey Bogart was very smooth when he... When he when he when he was acting, um, and what is interesting is that this is not, this is not his last film, no. but this is um, one of his last films. I would say, um, I'm just looking to see which. No, no, no. It, it starts off the series. I think that would be his last film. Cause he did die in 1957. He died um, 
uh, rather young. Yeah, he died at 57. Yeah. Coincidentally, the same age that Gloria Graham died at later wow. on in 1981. That's very, very interesting. He died of, you know, uh, I think I mentioned this. I don't know if I mentioned it on here or some other show of uh, uh, esophageal cancer, the cancer of the esophagus. He died in, he was, of course, you know, famously married to um, Lauren Bacall. They met on um, that film To Have and Have Not. Yeah. Um, and they were they were married and whatnot, um, but yeah, he, that was that's very interesting. He died, he died, and in, it shows you how much older young. he was than uh, um, most of the actresses he probably worked with. Then, <laughs> yeah, very old. That that's something that's been in. You want know, people complain about that now in Hollywood, where you know the older actors are always paired up with young young actresses to be their love interest. That's been in Hollywood forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forever, it's always been, a thing. and they and what's interesting, they did it back then. Think I think I mentioned it before. I'm pretty sure I mentioned it when we did our um, our episode about censorship, and we talked about the Hayes Code and stuff like that, where how like they tried to take all of the sexuality and all the sexy stuff out of the movies. Yeah. So that's why they kept pairing up older actors with younger actresses to make it unbelievable that these two would be in uh, a relationship together. Um, but of course, like in modern days, that that doesn't quite work no. anymore. Now they're just now they do it. I don't know for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's money making reasons. A lot of, time, a lot of times, it's, it's just because they want to put a, an actor in a particular. They want a particular yeah. actor, and and they want them to play at a particular age. So and yeah. and, and men, um, you know, a lot of times age more gracefully. Sometimes you know. So they, well, I they mean, can, we've talked about it before. There's also, of course. A lot of sexism oh, still within still Hollywood. Oh, there's definitely still They're that too. Like, there's I mean, there's many, many, you know, um, actors and actresses who reach a certain age and they just don't get roles that they would have gotten oh, course, yeah. when they were younger. Yeah. It just happens all the time. It doesn't happen and, quite for and actors, we, and we know but that, it happens for actresses. Well, with actresses, they, you know, once they hit a certain age, they don't get as many roles anymore, so they're always looking for the n- next hot thing. So then, mm. the younger actresses are the ones getting all the roles with the yeah, that, actors that could be older that are still active. You know? Well, yeah, like I said, there's that whole sexist thing, yeah. you know, in Hollywood where like you know, young is attractive and old a- ageist, is not. Ageist, ageism, basically yeah, yeah. combined with sexism and yeah. whatnot. But that's that was something that they did back then because I'm pretty sure to have and have not. Lauren Bacall was well, like. If you're telling me 19. he died, in, he died in '57 at 57. And she yes. died in eighty one. She was like almost thirty years older than him. Like, yeah, no, it's well, pretty yeah. close, um, or like, you know, more like twenty something. Humphrey Bogart was born in eighteen ninety nine, and Gloria Graham was born in nineteen twenty three. Yeah, so like, 20, so we're talking twenty four yeah, years. Twenty four years. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. But I, uh, yeah, you know that's they that's how did it that is. a lot. That's how it is. That's how it is. Um, that's but, that is how it is. But in a lonely place, great film noir. Um, yes, Nicholas. An, un, I would say a non-traditional film noir. It definitely is, because there's a murder that happens. There's a murder mystery that kind of hangs over the movie, but the plot really doesn't. You know, it doesn't. It it's not, doesn't it's follow not around the mystery. mystery. Yeah, it's not around it. It's about, like you said earlier, how that mystery affects the characters yeah. in the it film. It kind of reminds me. What's the one um, shoot that's got Gina Turney? Uh, Laura, not Laura, but the other one mm. she did. Uh, it was in color. Oh, um, oh, um, hold on, I'm gonna look it up because I know where she's a crazy about. person. I'm, oh yeah, we did a. Um, ah, what's the name of that movie? Come on, Andrew. Damn it. Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's um, oh man, heaven. Uh, something. T- uh, to he- uh, to, uh, I'm looking it up. 
Wow, this is really leave her to heaven. Gonna... Yeah, leave her to heaven. Oh, Woo! Thanks for the hint. Woo. I wouldn't have gotten it. Um, but yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of that where it's you know that it's a, a drama. You know, it's a kind of a crazy story. It's not necessarily around a uh, a mystery of any kind. It's 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 more of a character study. Um, there is a murder in that. There film, is though. a murder though. Yeah, but you know. yeah, Gene Gene Tierney is in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, direct, uh, came out in 1945, directed by John M. Stahl. That's a great film. Yeah. That's a, uh, another film noir. Um, there are many, many film noirs we could talk. We could have talked about. Sure. We can talk about. I mean, film noir is is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, but we did do we did do a film is. noir kind of episode. I think we we, we did we went we over did the classic like, era. Yeah, the classic yeah. era. Maybe we'll do uh, you know later the neo noir. I would love to do. I love to do the the post like the neo noirs. Um, when we get into like the French, the French neo noirs, yeah, French neo noir would be a cool one. Yeah, um, that's when you get into like Le Samurai and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but which I think great film. But you know, we, maybe that's gonna probably have to wait till next year or, or if we mm. decide to get back around to it. But but I know that on our next episode, which is gonna be right before Thanksgiving, um, mm. we are gonna talk food films, you know, movies that nice. just make your mouth water. You know, that just, you know, make you want to pause it and go and grab, you know, something from the fridge, you know, but. And that, yeah, because, the, and then there are films where food is used for different things. <laughs> I don't, I don't, do you want to leave them one hanging on that one? Because that's kind of, <laughs> I don't know if what you're talking about necessarily, but, uh, but, uh, what's that? uh, I don't know. I don't, don't spoil it for me. We'll just I'm leave it because we'll I'll bring it up. We'll, we'll bring, bring it, it up, up in, yeah. in two weeks. But, um, that's going to be it for this episode. Um, where can we find you, Andrew? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find uh, me on Instagram, Cinema Discovery Project, posting all the goodies I buy. Um, and you can find the audio for this podcast on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. And that will be it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs> <laughs>